0: Tennis Gambling Podcast and Sports Gambling Podcast are presented by WinBet. Bet $100 a WinBet and get a $100 free bet. Head over to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash WinBet, the sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. Claim your free bet today. We're also brought to you by the SGPN Merch Store. Use the promo code NFCBEAST for 15% off active until the Giants or Eagles lose their next game. Welcome everybody to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. I'm your host Scott Rochelle once again going solo for this pod and for this episode going to go through a couple of ATP events and the preview show with the futures and outrights etc. in Basel and Vienna. But before I actually get into the breakdowns for each tournament, I do want to recap how we did on the last pod. Unfortunately, not too great. We did have one outright that died in the final as we had Sitsipas at plus two seventy five and he eventually lost in straight sets to Rune. Uh, Classic pass loss, which you can't really explain, where he was dominating the entire tournament, and then for whatever reason, uh, you figured a potentially tired Rune would struggle as the match progressed. Did not happen, and Rune won in straight sets. Uh, For the lock, we ended up losing. We kind of doubled down on the total there in the quarter, and Felix match had the over 22.5 games at minus 130 as the lock, had the over 2.5 sets there at plus one, I believe it was 130, and both those did not cash, as Felix was just too good from start to finish. We thought Felix would hold pretty easily. Korda did have some moments, didn't capitalize, and Corda's serve did not hold up. But Felix really just played well, and he ended up winning in straight sets as well. However, we did not get completely reverse swept, because we did give out a bonus prop, and we gave out the Corda over one and a half double faults. In the match at minus 115 and that did cash as he finished with two double faults so it could have been worse uh it's the second time we've given out a double fault prop on this show and it's the second time we've cashed so we're 2-0 and all on that and maybe i'll keep throwing it in there if i like an angle but i was a fan of that quarter angle because he did have over one and a half double faults in three of the first four matches in this event and end up cashing again so overall not a great episode but we Could have been worse if the double fall prop didn't cash. Either way, time to move on to these two tournaments. Now, before we actually get into the breakdowns for this event, I do kind of want to at least discuss the uh, first round of action that we saw in both these tournaments. Then i will take a quick break. But to go through the actual matchups and who got eliminated already, uh, GullFan ended up losing to Nakashima. In Basel, you had Karatsev lose to Bublik. You had Draper in a very competitive match, losing to Alcaraz, despite winning the first set. And you had Chilich, who ended up losing to uh, Rinderknich in a third set tiebreak. And that is actually somewhat big news because Chilich was a defending champion in this event. He did beat Nishikori in 2016, and yet he's already been eliminated. That's kind of going to wrap it up for the actual uh, Monday action in Basel. Now to move on to Vienna. You had Kakanov, who beat Wolf in two competitive two competitive sets there. George uh, ended up beating Halas in three. Fritz had a very entertaining match against Nishioka. I believe he fought off a match point in there, and he ended up winning in three in his first ever match as a top 10 player in the world. You had Sarundolo, who beat a relative unknown in straight sets, and you had Rublev, who absolutely smacked Schwartzman in straight sets. But the main takeaways for Vienna... Uh, Rublev looked really good. Uh, Fritz looked quite vulnerable. Now, Nishioka is a very solid player. We saw him win a title in Korea a couple weeks ago, but... You figured Fritz would find a way to overpower Nishioka throughout the match, and that really wasn't the case. And Nishioka made a couple of unforced errors and kind of uncharacteristically spiked his racket once the match ended. And we know Nishioka is one of the more even keel players on tour, and yet he knew that it was a winnable match and he let it slip through his fingertips. And Fritz is moving on. Fritz was fine. I thought he could have played better but we also saw him just win a tournament in which he struggled in the first couple of rounds and it didn't matter in the end. So surviving advance there for Fritz and Chorich and Kakanov and Wolf were competitive, a good match, but Kakanov was a little bit too much and he ended up breaking at six, five to win the match. But to go through Basil, uh, you had Nish- uh, Nakashima who looked underwhelming in the first set and then woke up to beat Gofen uh, Karatsev. You never know what you're really going to get from him, but Bublik was the better player. Alcaraz was interesting because since he's ended up taking over the number one ranking in the world and since he won the U.S. Open, he's been quite vulnerable and he looked like it against Draper in the first round. However, Alcaraz in previous tournaments has been known to struggle in the first round, especially, and then it gets progressively easier moving forward once he gets fully accustomed to the surface, the environment, etc., and Chilich losing to Rinderknecht. Rinderknecht had a very nice win against Krenya Busta a couple of weeks ago. So he's still a good player, but still an upset. And chillich was leading in the breaker by a couple of points before Rinderknecht kind of caught fire there and ended up taking over the breaker. But either way, that's kind of going to recap it for the... Uh, that's going to actually sum up the recap for yesterday's action. But before we actually get into the outrights, the prices, and what I like for the winners of this overall event, i to take a quick word from our sponsor. Thinking of joining WinBet, now is the perfect time because when you bet $100, you get a $100 free bet. Looking to join WinBet Biggest Winners Club? Whoever hits the biggest parlay on WinBet odds-wise gets a $1,000 free bet. WinBet is truly hashtag DGENs only. Plus, use WinBet's Build Your Own Bet feature to build some amazing same-game parlays. There's so much to choose from, and all you have to do is head over to sportscallingpodcast.com slash WinBet so they know we sent you at sportsgoingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T to claim your free bet today. All subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where Playthrough Winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. We also have breaking news. sports. The Sports Gambling Podcast Network is having a YouTube giveaway, and it is giving you a chance to win your choice of either an autographed jersey by Lawrence Taylor or Brian Dawkins, and that's part of all, the contest is completely free to enter. There's three steps. All you have to do is one, subscribe to youtube.com slash sports gambling podcast to comment on a video and each video is a new chance to enter and also turn your notifications on so you don't miss sports gambling podcast contacting you when they pull the winner. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just to recap what happened over the past weekend and what happened in Basel and uh, Vienna on Monday. Now it's time to get into the actual future odds and talk about some outrights. So going in chronological order to look at the actual time of the matches on Tuesday, once again separated by about maybe 5, 10 minutes Uh, Really no separation at all, so it doesn't really matter. I'm going to start off with Basel just because of alphabetical order, and we'll get into Vienna after. So starting off with the outrights here in Basel, uh, just to go through the favorites, we'll go in order. Alcaraz is the favorite, not a surprise, number one ranked player in the world, plus 240. You have Felix going for his third straight championship championship or th- third straight trophy in as many weeks as he is plus 650. You have Rude at 7 to 1, and then you have some long shots that are pr- relatively similar in terms of price. You have Bublik at 14 to 1, Nakashima 14 to 1, DeMinur at 14 to 1, Busta at 16 to 1, Musetti at 16 to 1, Rune at 16 to 1, Batista Goot at 16 to 1, and then you have some longer shots with Rinderknich at 20. Uh, you have Brooksby at 25, Umber at 25, You have Cressy at 28, uh, Zan Schulp at 28 as well. And yeah, you're going down the line. You have Murray at 28 if you want to go for a veteran long shot. You get the idea. But the point is, Alcaraz is favored, and it makes all the sense in the world. However, I'm not sure if I'm actually going to take him because I was concerned about how he's played since taking over the number one ranking. Uh, He was vulnerable in both the Davis Cup as well as the match against Draper. And I do kind of wonder if he's a bit overvalued in this spot. But to go through the actual winners in this event in the past, it's really irrelevant because a lot, if not all of the guys that have won this event, have either retired or been eliminated. And to go through all the results since, well, you know what, we'll go 2006. You had Federer, who won three in a row, then Djokovic. Djokovic isn't playing this event. You have Federer for another two times and obvious I'm sorry, you have Federer for another two times, and of course he retired. You have Del Potro for two times in a row, he retired. Federer for two more times. Then you have Chilich who got eliminated, and then Federer three more times. Then the event did not take place for the last two years because of COVID. So really no historical trends to actually mention. I guess the only thing that's worth mentioning is De Menor because he was the runner up in 2019. So if you want to go for somebody with experience in this event, you could take Dimonor at 14 to 1 if you want to just back the historical success, even though that was roughly three years ago. But still, better than nothing, I suppose. But either way, uh, to go through uh, some other just draws and to go through the, I'd say, value plays for this event, uh, you had a couple of matches, as I mentioned before, on Monday. A lot of the bulk of the first round did not take place yet. So there is a bit of a head start for some of the players, including Alcaraz, who might get an extra day off uh, because of the fact that he was able to play yesterday. But to go through the draws here for Alcaraz, it's, fa- it's I'd say, favorable. He faced off against either Schulp or Manorino. I think Alcaraz should win that match pretty comfortably. Then face off against either Cressy, uh, Stricker, Baez, or Busta. Let's assume it's going to be Busta. And then after that, that, that's really the whole draw to get into the semis. So Alcaraz's draw is actually kind of favorable. Uh, I just think that he might end up struggling more than people think. Uh, he probably will end up making a very deep run in this tournament, but plus 240. Maybe I'll reconsider once I read off the actual draws for everyone. But as of right now, I'm trying to look elsewhere. Uh, you have Felix at a pretty decent spot here. I know he's facing off against Hussler. Uh Then he has the winner of Fakina or Kekmanovic. I'm staying away from Felix. I know I said I was going to stay away from him last week, and he won again, but winning three tournaments, and this one's a pretty decent field in terms of quality of player, I do think that Felix is a pure pass here. There's also a chance he maybe withdraws based on fatigue, but he's won two straight weekends with no breaks in between. I'm going to stay away from Felix there. I think Kusor has a shot to beat him into the first round. Uh, besides that, I do think Hekmanovich can maybe make a run, but we'll see. Uh, besides that, though, looking at some of the other favorites on the other side of the draw, you have Rude, who has Warenka in the first round, followed by Nakashima. And Nakashima's extra rest, I kind of like Nakashima in that section. Uh, Nakashima actually has a very nice draw. If you want to go through his section, I mentioned that he'd face off against Rude most likely in the second round. However, Warenka does have home court advantage because it is in Switzerland. So maybe Warrenka could upset Rude. We'll see. But ideally, Nakashima to come out of that small section. Then you have Murray taking on most likely Batista Agut in that uh, second round matchup. And then the winner would face off against Nakashima. I think I'm leaning Nakashima to get out of that overall section into the semis. So I do think he can make a decent run here, especially at his price of 14 to 1. I like that value play a lot. I'm not sure if he's going to win the event, but I do think he has a decent shot of making a relatively strong showing in this event. But moving on uh, to some of the other picks that I'm looking at, if you want to go with the historical trend with Demenor, he's taking on Rune in the first round, which would be a concern, but Rune is coming off of the title and I wonder how fatigue will play a factor. So I do think Demenor should end up beating him or Rune potentially doesn't show up and just withdraws and they have to fill in a qualifier or you know lucky loser to end up playing against Diminor instead, but it's kind of a difficult draw for Diminor because you would have to face Rune and then most likely Brooksby. Brooksby takes on Umber. I think Brooksby is just too fundamentally sound uh, for Umber to handle, and I think Brooksby would beat him. So we saw Diminor absolutely smack Brooksby in, I believe, I'm trying to remember which event it was. Um, where was it? At, was it Atlanta? I'm trying to remember. He beat him in a final of an event, and I can't remember which one it was. But the point is, Dimonor did end up winning a title against Brooksby, and he actually smacked him in the process. And I do think as a result, he's definitely the better player, and I do think Brooksby would probably lose there. But it's still not exactly a great draw for Dimonor to have, especially at 14-1. to I'm actually pulling it up right now. They ended up playing in Atlanta, like I thought they did, and uh, Dimonor won in the final in straight sets. But either way, uh, I think if you want to make a case for some outrights, I'm not picking Felix At 650, especially after winning two straight tournaments, I'm not going to bother. Rude, I'm not going to pick either. Facing Wawrenka in round one and Nakashima in round two is a little bit too difficult for a plus 700 outright for me to take. Now to go through some of the other options, Nakashima I like at 14-1. to I'll pencil him in. Diminor is very, very tricky because I do think his game suits this court very well, which is why he was a runner-up. The question is, do I really want to bother dealing with Rune, followed by Brooksby, and then followed by probably Rinderknech. I mean, Rinderknech isn't that bad of a draw, but still, I think it's dif- a bit difficult in the opening round or so for him. But based on the spot and how I tend to fade defending champions, not defending champions, but people that won titles the week prior because of fatigue, and to go with that angle, I think I will take Diminor also. So, so far, my outrights are Nakashima, Diminor, And to go through any serious long shots, I'm going to try to stay away from Alcaraz and kind of hope that he gets upset in one of the earlier rounds. So I'm not going to want to bother. Do I want to make a case for Andy Murray? And I feel like I'm only going to try to make a case because I do think his draw is not bad. You have Agut taking on Dajir, and that could be a difficult matchup. I know Batista Agut smacked Murray. I forgot if it was earlier this year or last year, but it was a bloodbath. And I think that's kind of going to be why I stay away from Murray in this overall bracket, but I'm looking at the odds and 28 to one is really not a bad price. I just don't think Murray has it in the tank anymore, especially stamina wise to win a bunch of matches in rapid succession. So I don't think I'm going to take him Batista good at 16 to one. Eh, I think it's okay, but I do think my main two outrights, maybe I'll circle back, but my main two outrights for this one are going to be on Nakashima at 14 to 1, and I'll also take Dimanour at 14 to 1. But besides that, though, I think that's going to wrap it up for the overall outrights in this tournament. Unfortunately, no quarter bets available, so I can't go through the quarters individually. But if I had to really pick my thoughts on who's going to make it into each semi, I'm going to take Alcaraz out of the top one. I'm going to take the second one's tricky because I do think there's a lot of opening with Felix being potentially fatigued. Do I think Husserl has a shot here, especially being Swiss? So he does have a home crowd behind him. Uh, he had a very difficult three-set loss there to Sarundolo in his last match, but he's been playing well. Am I tempted to go with Hussler? Um, I don't know. Let, let, let me just think about what the odds are going to be on him for this event. Uh, if they're even listed. Uh, let me just see what they got here. Uh, Husor is 50-1. to 1. I think I got to take that. Yeah, so I'm going to add that as well. I'll take Husor as my pick to get out of the second quarter. He might get buried by Alcaraz in the semifinals, but we'll cross that bridge when we cross that bridge. So once again, I'll go with Alcaraz to win the first quarter. I'll go with Husor to win the second quarter with the home crowd behind him there. And his outright is 50-1. to 1, So I'll add him into the outright mix as well. Then for the third quarter, I will take Demenur. And for the fourth quarter, I will take Nakashima. But other than that, though, time to move on to Vienna. And this tournament should be a fun one as well uh, to go through the top of the field. It's definitely going to be interesting because you have Medvedev, Rublev, Sitsipas, Sinner, Fritz, all in there. So you have a bunch of top 10 players in the mix. Now, Medvedev has been decent lately. Truth is, I think he set the bar very high. When he won the U.S. Open last year, and he was up two sets to nothing with triple break point on Nadal in the Australian Open, it looked like he was just going to absolutely dominate men's tennis, at least until Djokovic came back. And that really wasn't the case all season long. He had one of the more disappointing reigns as the number one player, and Medvedev has been good, not great, since getting the number one ranking. And then, of course, he lost it once Alcaraz ended up winning the U.S. Open. To go through Alcaraz, sorry, to go through Medvedev's last couple of matches, he's been okay. One in straight sets, each of the first three rounds in Astana, then had that really ridiculous retirement after the second set breaker against Djokovic in the semis there. So he took a set off Djokovic, who was playing very well, so I know Medvedev's level is extremely high. He also basically has a bye in the first round because he's facing off against Baselashvili, Who's basically been tanking matches for the entire year? But you're looking at his odds. He's plus 333. You have Rublev at plus 550. Sitsipas at 550 as well. Sinner at 8 to 1. Fritz at 11 to 1. Kakanov at 12 to 1. Chorich at 12 to 1. Nori at 14 to 1. Herkaz at 14 to 1. Evans at 16. Schapo at 16. Uh, Tiafo at 20. And you have team as the hometown kid at 22 to 1. I'll throw in Tommy Paul there at 33 to 1 as well, but that's basically it. Truth is, in men's tennis, when you have that many top 10 players in the same event, you really don't need to mention many long shots besides maybe clay court tournaments. But on hard court, I'm assuming either Medvedev, Rublev, Sitsipas, or Sinner. Are going to win. No offense to Fritz, but I wasn't exactly impressed with your three-set war against Nishioka. But either way, to go through the actual history of this event, it's been a long uh it there's a lot of history with this event because it started off in 1974. But moving on uh, moving to the actual recent winners, you had Zverev, who won this event in 2021, beating Tiafo. You had Rublev, who won in 2020, beating Sonigo. You had Team uh, beating Schwartzman in three sets in 2019, Anderson beating Nishioka in 2018, Luca Pui beating Sanga in 2017, Andy Murray beating Sanga 2016, and then you had Ferrer, Murray, Haas, uh, Del Potro, Sanga, et cetera. So a lot of guys who are tired or have been past their prime for a while. But recently, the names that jump off are Dominic Team because he is the hometown kid and he's been playing a lot better on hard courts especially lately so i think he might be worth a shot rublev who looked really good against schwartzman once again yesterday and schwartzman was a defending runner-up now i do know that schwartzman is past his prime if you've watched him he's definitely looked quite vulnerable over the past year so i know that it's a nice win by name i'm not sure if it's a nice win by substance but either way i do think rublev is definitely worth a shot there at 550 and Tiafo, if you want to go for a long shot, I think could be worth something at 20 to 1. But to go through the actual draws here, I mentioned Omevidev basically has a bye in the first round, taking on Basilashvili. The second round is very, very fascinating because you have Dominic Team taking on Tommy Paul in the first round. Very difficult matchup for both players. And then the winner faces off against Medvedev. So you might get Team Medvedev in the second round of a tournament, which is absolutely thrilling. And I feel like that's kind of why I have to stay away from Team in this one and Medvedev to win this tournament because I'm looking at the draws here and I think it's a very difficult draw for both players because you have Team who might lose to Tommy Paul. Tommy Paul is really good. And I do think Team has the firepower to get past Paul, but we know that Team Strokes can occasionally get a little bit unforced error happy, so to speak. And I think Paul could force his strokes to self-destruct, particularly from the forehand side. But I'm going to stay away from Medvedev, team, and Tommy Paul because of how difficult that overall section is, especially in the first two matches of this event. But you also have to deal with Sinner later on. Sarandolo is most likely going to take on Sinner in the round of 16. I'll take Sinner in that matchup, and then you have Sinner taking on either Medvedev team or Paul really brutal. So I'm going to stay away from that first quarter entirely. I'm not exactly sold. Now, moving on to the second quarter, you have Rublev taking on most likely I'm assuming Dimitrov against Montero, Dimitrov will win, but Dimitrov has been kind of awful lately. Either way, I think Rublev rolls there and then he faces off against most likely Nori in the, the quarterfinals. I like Rublev a lot. And we saw Rublev really snack the crap out of Nori in the U.S. Open, I believe. I think it was the U.S. Open. And Nori just absolutely demolished. Uh, Nori got absolutely demolished in straight sacks. So I do think that Rublev has Nori's number. And I do think that he should end up making it to the semis. And then we'll see if he plays against Medvedev, et cetera. But I think he's got value there uh, to go through the third quarter here. I'm not going to pick Fritz. I think that's a little bit difficult. Evans is interesting. Face-off against Atta in round one. Atta was a lucky loser, made it into the bracket anyway. I think Evans wins there, and I think Evans should beat Kakanov. And then you most likely have Shapo taking on Fritz, which should be a very entertaining match, which I think Shapo has a good shot to win. But I think for the sake of this overall quarter, I'm going to go with Evans. I think he's better than Kakanov. I think he's better than Ata and I'll let Chapo and Fritz kill each other. So give me Evans to win that overall quarter. And then for the final quarter, Tiafo, I mentioned having value. The problem is he faces off against Herkaz in the first round. Hercas a very good server. I think that could be a tiebreak fest. I am going to pick Tiafo to win that match, though. I think that his movement could give Herkaz problems. You have Sunigo against Rusevori. That's also difficult. I will take Sunigo in that matchup, though because Sonigo ended up being the runner-up here in 2020, so he does have some type of court familiarity. But I'll go with uh, Tiafo to make it into the quarters, and most likely face off against Sitsipas. I know Sitsipas is off a final, so we'll see if fatigue is a factor. He should beat Novak in the first round, then probably end up beating Chorich. That could be a good match, though. But give me Tiafo to come out of the quarter. So if you want to play it based on my outrights, uh, I don't have quarters in front of me, but the point is, if you want to back the players that I like to make the semis to win the overall event, you have Rublev at plus 550, which I like a lot. Rublev looked really good. He's probably my main pick to win. Once again, not taking Medvedev because of his pretty brutal draw there. But Rublev at plus 550, I like. Uh, you have a couple of long shots in there too. You have Evans at 16-1, to 1, which I think is tempting. You have Tiafo at 20-1. to 1, And you also have... I'm forgetting somebody. Sorry. Um, who am I forgetting? Uh, I already said Evans. I already said Tiafo, I already said Rublev. Oh, yeah, and I'm skipping the entire first quarter. So I'm not, I'm not actually missing anybody, but that first quarter is too much of a crapshoot. I'm not going to bother. If Medvedev wins the tournament, would I be shocked? No. But based on how difficult the schedule is, I don't think he's worth the price that he's getting. So once again, my three outrights for Vienna are going to be On Rublev at plus 550, going to be on Evans at 16 to 1. And I'm also going to take Tiafo at 20 to 1. And my outrights for Basil are going to be on Nakashima at 14 to 1 and Dimonor at 14 to 1. So a lot of double digit shots here. Hopefully, one of them cashes for us. And hopefully, the rest of the tournament goes well. But time to pivot to the actual matches for. Most likely Tuesday's card. I'm sure they have some Wednesday matches as well in the Lock and Dog segment. But before we actually get into it, got to take another word from our sponsor. We're also brought to you by No House Advantage. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Playing pick'em contests versus other people for a shot at winning $250,000 in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day. And you can also test your skills versus the house and win 20 times your entry if you hit every pick. You can bet on up to five player prop over unders or individual player matchups across every major sport, including the NFL, the NBA, uh, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now with the promo code SGPN at knowhouseadvantage.com or download the app on the App Store to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out Noah's Advantage because it's not just about how you play, it's also where you play. You won't want to miss out on this offer. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Galing Podcast. Just finished previewing the two tournaments over in Basel and in Vienna. Now it's time to get into the actual matches for the Tuesday and Wednesday slate in the lock and dog segment. So starting off with the lock, going to go to a matchup taking place in Basel between Rune and Dimonor. And for this matchup, going to take Dimonor on the money line at minus 134. At the end of the day, there are two main trends that I have liked over the years and I'm not sure if it's selective recall but it definitely seems profitable the first one is the one that all of you are familiar with it is fading a guy who just won a tournament the previous weekend because of potential stamina concerns and the fact that Rune not only won in uh yeah in Stockholm but the fact that he had several three-set matches I do think will result in him being tired and I think Dimonor is capable of really making Rune work we know that Diminor is a serious pusher who's going to extend every point, make it an attorney. And I think eventually Rune's body is going to give out on him. So I will go with Diminor to win this match. But that's the first reason why I like him to win. The second reason is the immediate rematch angle. And you have two tennis players that just face off against each other within, I'd say, the span of about a month. And they face off against each other again. Usually they split. Once again, could be selective recall, but it definitely seems to be the case. And I'm mentioning it because these guys just played against each other a couple days ago because you had Dimonor, who ended up losing to Rune in Stockholm. Very competitive. Uh, You had 4-6, 7-6, 7-5 in favor of Rune. But the point is Dimonor gave Rune all that he could handle, and now Dimonor had extra time off because he ended up losing in the semis. Rune had to play another match in Uh, Stockholm because he ended up beating Sitsipas, but I do think with the immediate rematch and the fact that he has extra time to actually recover physically compared to Rune, I really like the spot there for Demenur, and I do think as a result, he should be priced a bit higher. I think 134 is a solid number. Should be closer to minus 150. I am going to take it, and moving on to the dog in this podcast, I mentioned how there's going to be one matchup, which I think is the best matchup by far, and it's going to be uh, the I'd say for the right to face off against Medvedev in the second round. It's going to be a matchup between team and Tommy Paul. And for this one, I am going to take the over two and a half sets at plus 115. I know it's a very uh, cheap overall dog, but I definitely like it because team has been very, very used to three sets. To go through the matches on hardcore here, Korda, three sets. Herkaz, three sets. Sarandolo, three sets. Played Gertz, that was straight sets, so three and one so far to three sets. Uh, then he had a couple of straight sets there in Gu- in uh, Gijon, uh, Tel Aviv. He had both three set matches there too. So the point is, team is no stranger to going distance. Paul, on the other hand, lost in straight sets to Yemmer. Did go three sets against Borg, who he was a massive favorite against. That still won three sets. Uh, had a very very eventful U.S. Open where he ended up uh, splitting. The first two sets in each of the three matches he was in. Cincinnati had a three set match there against Shapo. The point is, both guys are not afraid of really taking some sets off potentially if they fall behind early in order to conserve energy. I think you will see a very competitive match that goes back and forth. But plus 115, for what I expect to be an absolute war, as far as I'm concerned, is a good deal. You could take over 22 and a half games in the match at, I believe that's around minus 115 but I am going to take the over instead for the sets. I like the plus money there, so that's going to be my dog. Other than that, though, that's been this episode of the Tennis Gambling Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Reichel Radio, R-E-I-C-H-E-L Radio. Besides that, you can also find me on a bunch of other podcasts, the NFL Gambling Podcast, which I'm on a couple times a week, the NBA Gambling Podcast, of course, uh, the Propcast as well, which I'm on once or twice a week. A lot of different shows that I'm on, a lot of content going on with the likes of NFL, NBA, NHL, uh, college football as well. A lot of craziness going on in sports, and it's a great time. But other than that, though, until next episode, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.